I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. All right, guys, I need you, I need you for a moment in the name of Feel Good Friday to watch this video. Kenyon, and just as we were preparing for this live hit, we asked this gentleman whether perhaps he had just received the vaccination, and it turns out that he did. Mr. Kenyon is 91 years old. Let me just say, state uh, for people who are listening, we are looking at a uh, reporter on the streets of London standing maybe three feet away from the oldest man I've ever seen in my entire life. The reporter wearing a mask, this old man, zero fucks given, no mask (laughs) whatsoever. Let's continue. And I'd like you to tell us how you came to get the vaccine this morning, how it happened. I rang up uh, Guy's Hospital, which I know very well, so I've lived in London most of my grown-up life, and... uh, I said, what's this thing? You're doing the vaccination. They said, yes. And then they spent various times asking me questions about this and that. Not very interesting. And I said, yes, no, yes, no. And they said, we'll come at half past 12. Of course, I couldn't damn well find anywhere to park my car, so I was late. Um, anyway, I'm here now. And um, I got inside and they duly put me on a list. I went off and had a rather nasty lunch and then came back. And um, they were ready for me. And no, it didn't hurt at all. I didn't know the needle had gone in until it had come out. Um, it was very interesting. No, it was painless. And it, w- it was a quick quick in and out for the needle like any vaccination. Exactly. Well, if you don't, vaccinations aren't very common, are they? One has inoculations, no. Well, so so you, you called this morning, sir. <laughs> and I'd like to be vaccinated. You're vaccinating, aren't you? I've heard it on, seen it on the news, watched news, and uh, they said yes. I said, and then they asked you questions. They said, come in half of twelve. How do you feel that you are now one of the first people in the country to have received the first dose of this vaccine? <laughs> one of the first people in the world. How do you feel about it? I don't think I feel about it at all, except that I hope I aren't not going to have the bloody bug now. <laughs> I don't intend to have it because I've got granddaughters and I want to live a long time <laughs> to enjoy their lives. Have, have you been able to see them? Oh, my <laughs> God. I don't know how, how to feel about that. How great like, was that? Sometimes I felt excited. Sometimes I felt a little bit creeped out. Sometimes oh, I just felt, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was a lot to handle. Uh, I, thought that, I thought at some moments he was going to turn into a bat and fly away. <laughs> I just love the attitude that he's 91 years old and he's like, I want to live a long time. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I parked my car. Like, I love that. You're <laughs> driving? I love that he found a way 
day to insert how shitty the food was at the hospital when he finally got <laughs> yeah. had a shite meal. <laughs> just like hospital food, as you expect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! Well, there we go. That's uh, it's it. It's here, folks. It's happening. People around the world, um, or at least people over in the UK, are getting uh, the vaccines, and uh, it's hitting our doorsteps here in in uh, Canada. Um, and uh, it's it is exciting times. I believe last last week uh, when we were recording Feel Good Friday, the intro. Taylor, you had said, you know, it feels like um, it feels like there's like a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, uh, you made some other analogy that I don't remember. It wasn't that memorable, but it, <laughs> it but it did hit in the moment. Significant and, um, and and then fast forward a week later, and it's like, fuck, it moves fast, man. People like, are getting it, man. It people are literally getting it, and it's yeah, uh, next man. week. Next yeah, week, got it. And you first know what? doses here. I want. I also want to just state. Um, before we get too far into uh, the the intro here for Feel Good Friday, um, the conversation that we are about to throw to uh, today is with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. Um, and this person, let me tell you, she knows a fucking thing or two about vaccines. And um, we go into something that I, I never, I really never took much time to think about, which was the, and, and also didn't even really... I, like she, we didn't. Fucking, she, she, she. We didn't talk me. about math. She schooled me. No, well, <laughs> I, I mean, we kind of did. We talked about numbers, um, but <laughs> but did she, bit, she yeah. did school me in in the the differences between anti vaxxers those Muppets, and and uh, vaccine hesitants, uh, yeah. people who are vaccine hesitant. Yeah, people and, who have legitimate questions. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and so it was. Uh, it really was actually a pretty eye opening uh, conversation. Most certainly for myself, right? For someone who, who like you know, I'm just, I'm just going about it, going, hey, fuck it. I'm like, if it helps, stick it in me. Um, but I came out, <laughs> I came out of that conversation. Yeah, that's always been your motto. I mean, it has been my motto. It stick it if it's if it's gonna. <laughs> if it why does, we're if best it, friends. If it feels good, stick it in. And so, isn't that um, how you guys met? Um, it is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah, really. Thirty days and thirty nights. Um, and so, but I did leave that. I left this conversation. Being a little bit more vaccine hesitant. And again, if you're hearing this and you're hearing this term for the first time or you're not familiar with the term, it is not, it is very different from the, from the, the, the term anti-vaxxer, right? So uh, it, it really honestly shouldn't even be like, they're, on, they're honestly not like not even in not, the same no, fucking stratosphere. Not, they're not, not even, in the same universe. No. No. So, um, so yeah, really, really wonderful conversation. And uh, I'm glad we got to start this, uh, this episode with that very, very old, old man, uh, old because old man. that just that just I left me chuffed, chuffed to me muff, chuffed, chuffed, <laughs> chuffed to bits. Me muffs are chuffed now. <laughs> how many, yeah. how many adorbies old people like that do you think are getting vaccinated like right now as we speak? Because like they're like they're the batch, right? Yeah. It's just like a bunch yeah. of people old as balls like that yeah. that are just getting jabbed with those vaccines. Yeah. Just want to point out that we had our Patreon hangout. Uh, last night and uh, and uh, the expression in the UK is chuffed to bits and uh, we had a we had a um, a very very sweet uh, UK uh, listener who joined us on our Patreon hangout and Jer said and Jer said mm-hmm. um, chuffed to me muffs on um, on our hangout I did and um, and I just it, want to. That's an old Irish. It's an old Irish statement. It's all an old of our UK listeners. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Chuff to, to me muffs is an old Irish 
Um, oh. it's a it's an Irish uh, enchantment that is oh. that's mm-hmm. said by you know. To, oh, I didn't mo- know. Yeah, yeah. Most leprechauns, uh, most leprechauns huh. know it. Um, I thought that's where the word bits came from because it used to be chuff to me muffs, which was from Ireland, as Jerry mentioned, and then right. the UK. Who knows? Like, um, if you like, if you're familiar with muff diving, right. the mm-hmm. origin of where muff comes from, oh and then in the UK they <laughs> refer to it as bits, like lady bits, uh, and oh, so that's right. why they now say chuff to me bits right. because it used to be chuff to me <laughs> right. muff. You, you would probably be really good at Boulder Dash. I love it's my one of my favorite games. Also, yeah. if you play that high, it's like the funniest thing. I cry when I play that. It's so funny. I think I've heard anyway. the story of Brian pl- playing Boulder Dash High eighteen thousand times. Uh, <laughs> speaking of muff diving, uh, last week I asked you guys if you wanted to talk about meat or meat, and um, <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm just gonna jump in here and give you the other meat story that we didn't talk about last week because I think it's pretty fucking fascinating. And also ties into just the 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 unique and fun and weird wacky world that we live in right now, which is the future. This is an article coming from yours truly, CBC. Uh, Thomas Reuters. <laughs> do you do another op-ed, Jer? Yeah, yeah. This is my, this is my other op-ed. Uh, yours truly. Yeah. Uh, uh, yours truly, as in where you're listening from. Your CBC. This is a, you know this is a CBC podcast. Uh, lab-grown meat. Lab-grown yeah. meat approved for sale for first time. Was that was that in Malaysia? U.S. startup Malaysia? Eat Just gets a, approval in Singapore to Singapore. sell lab-grown meat at restaurant. Singapore, Singapore has given U.S. startup Eat Just the green light to sell its lab-grown chicken meat in what the firm on Wednesday said is the world's first regulatory approval for so-called clean meat that does not come from a slaughtered animal. <clears throat> the meat to be sold as nuggets will be priced at premium chicken prices when it first launches in a restaurant in Singapore, quote, in the very near term, unquote, co-founder and CEO wow. Josh Got, Patrick said. Guys, I already, uh, before you go on, Jared, I, I already have the burning question that I want to know the answer to. What do you guys think? Okay. In, in, in a percentage split, what do you think is the amount of vegans that would eat this meat? And the amount of vegans that wouldn't eat it. That's so actually a really. That's a really. Because I, I bet there's. Question. I bet it would be yeah. divided. I bet. I, it, I, I bet I there'd be a group that would and a group that wouldn't. No offense to like any vegans, and just like full disclosure, I'm standing in the room with one right now. Um, <laughs> if you don't want to, then you're, in my opinion, you're fucking dumb because it has nothing to do with being vegan because it's not. Meat. <laughs> Whoa, what percentage? Whoa, what, dude, what percentage? Whoa, hold on. Hold on. It's grown. Yo, we get enough hate mail. Uh, sent directly to H A T E at sickboypodcast.com. If you and want the to send vegan hate, community, you got is hate mail. Particularly hostile. You got hate really, mail. Really? I thought our hate to... mail address was uh, Taylor at sickboypodcast.com. Whoa. Whoopsie. Uh, so if you're a vegan, you can just send your letters over to but Taylor at sickboypodcast.com. Honestly, though, what do you think? Okay, percentage wise, <laughs> I know that you've expressed what you think, Taylor, but like, Taylor, let's you opened, be, a, you opened up let's, a fucking box of worms uh, right there, buddy. You, what I, percentage? You're regret that. Yeah. So I, I think right. it's somewhere I think Send it's somewhere it around fifty fifty. Like I think that there's no. probably almost well, half. Do you want to no. ask what? Kyla? I mean we have let's, one. Yeah, let's ask Kyla. Bring Kyla over here. Kyla, can you come here for a second? Get put her, her put your headphones on and let Jer so ask her the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's uh, let's do it that Kyla. way. Yeah. Kyla's okay, never so been on the podcast. Put the headphones on. Kyla has never been on the podcast. Put the headphones on her Yeah, Is it happening? They're gonna they're gonna ask you a question and then you just have to answer it. I wanna ask you yeah. Right, she can't hear me yet. 
Kyla. Hello, Kyla. Hey, Kyla. Hey. Um, so this is uh, this is Taylor's uh, long term uh, partner, Kyla. Uh, nice to see you. Hello. Hello. Kyla, you are. How long have you been a vegan? Oh, that's a tough question. In a way, almost my whole life. That's what I thought. I was going to say you were like an all lifer vegan, right? It's a long story. Where do we begin? (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I never really ate like meat or seafood growing up, but I obviously ate like ice cream and chocolate and all those delicious things. So that got cut out maybe when I moved out after university. So, and if I recall correctly, because we've had this conversation before in the past. Um, a part of your veganism comes from like the, the moral aspect of like not wanting to bring harm to other beings, right? That would be part of it. Yes. Okay. And what's the other part? Environmental things. Yeah. Environmental, definitely the well being of animals, but also for, uh, my own health. I believe it is kind of the best way just to feel like mentally and physically healthy. There's lots of science sure. backing that as well. But yeah, it's definitely for everything. It's for my health. It's for the health okay. of the animals and the planet. Now, let me give you a hypothetical here. All right. Well, actually, I'll give you not a hypothetical. So so I'll just read this article headliner, which is lab-grown meat approved for first for sale for first time. So there is lab-grown chicken that has been made by a U.S. startup. And they have been approved to sell this lab-grown chicken in nugget form in a restaurant in Singapore, okay? And mm-hmm. so so let's say hypothetically, because I don't know enough about the ins and outs of, the, of this startup and how they make their meat, but let's say that the meat that is lab-grown doesn't bring harm to any single animal. So like there's no, there's no animals involved in actually like g- growing the meat and that it's it's ethically, it's like environmentally ethically done in a way that is actually like uh, um, pretty, pretty like good for the environment. <clears throat> would you, would you try it if you went would to the restaurant? Eat, would, would you, you eat, eat that meat? meat? Lab grown meat. Well, yeah, I, I don't consider that meat. It's not an animal. There we go. Okay. Wow. Wow. I read about yeah. that article as well. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, just just to validate you, I, wow. I, I, that that totally makes sense. That you it makes sense. That. Yeah. Totally makes sense. I mean, I, 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 mean I, I don't love that stuff because sure. personally, I'm not like craving meat. You yeah, know? but I feel but, like I haven't had yeah. it long enough that yeah. You know, once like in a while. But Kyla, when when was the last time you had a, ra- a a blue rare steak? Come on, don't don't like you know <laughs> you get that blood running down your chin <laughs> and dribbling on your chest. Cruel. It's just it's guys. So good. Uh, I'm actually busy. No joke. I just took <laughs> tofu out of the oven. So. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect way to leave this say conversation. No more. Say that's no great. more. Go I enjoy. Like, stop the oven. With my tofu Go enjoy your tofu. Oh, thank you for yeah, uh, thank that, you for coming on the show. That's not. That's not me. No, and nice. all meat will be that someday. <laughs> I hope so. Na- yeah. Nice to see you, Kai. Did you Good guys? To see you, Kyla. Did you guys ever it's... read um, Orcs and Crake? Are, are you guys are, are, the Margaret Atwood novel Orcs and Crake? Orcs. No. Orcs? No. Sounds like a Lord of the Rings drinking novel. Orcs yeah. and Crake. It's, it's so it's so Margaret Atwood, um, uh, cherished and beloved female or a Canadian female writer. Um, uh, pretty much like uh, I mean, yeah. Pretty obvious that she's a female writer. I don't know why I had to like toss that her gender in. That, that was weird. <laughs> but uh, I'm so triggered right okay, now. Okay, right. so she uh, 
she, you know, she, she's every, everyone wants to, everyone loves her. Everyone wants her to be their grandmother. Um, uh, we love Margaret Atwood, but her, I think her best, you know, Handmaid's Tale was great, but I think Orcs and Crake is one of the best books. It's my favorite book. Is it one of the best books I think is that's like been written mm. in it's the, in, in, it's incredible. I've never, there's no other book the, like it. It's <laughs> phenomenal. Tremendous. It's phenomenal. It's tremendous. tremendous. No one, and, you've never seen a book like this before. And a big Huge. part, a big, a big part of that book is like the, is sort of, um, it's definitely not as ethical as this article here, like about just like, like lab grown meat, but there's a huge part of like lab grown um, thing. Like, yeah, like meat, but and like lab grown animals for meat. And it's, it's so fucking mm. crazy. It's a really, if you love, like, if you, well, that's a different question though. Totally. A hundred percent. But it, but it, but it paints this like dystopian sort of like we're on the verge, we're on the way to like, kind of like Soylent green, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. there's a, it's, it, it, it puts a really weird taste in one's mouth. And I, I'm sure there's people that read this article and go, Oh, I don't know, man. That's just sure. fucking what a weird so I, world, you know? I was, uh, I was talking to, uh, this is the second time I've, uh, brought up Matt Slaney today talking to you guys, but I was, uh, having a conversation with Matt Slaney the other day and, uh, and we were talking about, um, psilocybin and taking mushrooms. And I was telling him about this company that's, uh, creating synthetic psilocybin. And I was talking about how, you know, it was, it, mm -hmm. it's like revolutionary. It, they're, they're creating this and doing these tests to treat things like PTSD and depression and, and so on. And, and, um, I was saying like, you know, I, I, I love the idea of that, like sort of natural treatment for these ailments. And he was like, well, <laughs> you know, it's not, you, you just said it was synthetic. Like it's not actually natural. And I was like, well, it, I guess like, I, I understand like, yeah, it, I mean, it is, but they just created like the synthetic molecule of like what psilocybin is and blah, blah, blah. And so like, we were having this sort of like debate of like whether or not that was still a natural mm. drug. Well, I mean, and it's like so, a lot of pharmaceutical drugs are natural based and then they create synthetics of, of what, you know, what they need yep. to, to give to people. But like, but I, isn't it funny how you have this like idea in your head of like, you might not like, so, so. Um, put it this way. I don't know what, how they're producing the synthetic psilocybin. Maybe it's like 90% natural and it's just modified like in a, in a really small way, a yeah. small way. But like, there's still something about the word synthetic that makes it, it's the same as like G mm -hmm. GMO, sure. right? Like yeah. Yeah. genetically modified. It might just be that two plants were taken and bred together um, yeah. and humans placed them together and now yeah. they're genetically modified, but they're actually still naturally producing right so it's it's yeah, gmo it's, is, is very misunderstood is a good example because it's very misunderstood so <laughs> so like it's it's but it's interesting like as soon as you put this language attaches language to it how it sort of like shifts the idea of what totally. you the way that you think of it so like this lab grown meat the just the word meat even though like mm -hmm. it might still chemically be the same makeup as like a steak or whatever a chicken or whatever meat. um just the fact that it was grown in a lab well there like, was there, this there weird, was like um, connotation to it there was uh there was there was lawsuits in the eu um uh recently that uh, were recent that were just thrown out um by the eu courts um i think it was in whatever the supreme court um uh is for the eu where uh dairy farmers and dairy farmers and 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 uh, like meat and poultry farmers um 
got together and filed lawsuits against uh, companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible mm. um, and these like these, you know, fake meat or meat alternative companies uh, and um, were alleging that you that it would it, it is illegal to call those products meat because uh, because they're because they're not um, and that it's misleading. It was the, the basis was that it's misleading to the consumer. Um, those ultimately got thrown out. Um, but I mean, and, and, and the and the purpose of it was because those th- those companies meat and meat and poultry and dairy farmers are losing market share to those companies. So they're pissed about it and they want to get that market share back and file lawsuits to do that. Um, but you know, in terms of the, the lab grown meat, as long as there, as long as there's a difference between the two there, it's not going to wipe anything out unless, unless the day comes where it tastes the same, it's the exact same nutritional value. And really the taste is going to be what comes down to it. If it doesn't taste and feel the exact same taste and texture. Yeah. Taste Mm -hmm. and texture. If it doesn't taste and feel the exact same when you eat it, you're never going to get rid. It's never going to, it's never going to wipe out taste, texture, taste, texture. And that like, just a, like a little, like a, a little, um, sprinkle of like, of, of soul, you know, a little sprinkle Mm of, of, of past life, a little sprinkle. But if it does, it does, if it does get to that point where it is, where it is, tastes the same, Mm. feels the same, is the same, looks the same. I mean, if you're not, and if you're not eating that, I mean, you got some fucking demons in my opinion, because we, we need that. Like as, as a, like, look at the global population. We need some alternative like that. If we're, if, if, if the either that people on this or, planet yeah, either that continue or to, to either that or we need to, to put meat. massive <laughs> restrictions on people having kids. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's it's either oh, that one oh. or the other. That's it. Uh, you should listen to the guy on Rogan. He makes a case for why America should have a population of one billion. Pretty interesting. Just saying. Um, you know yeah, what though? Too many people. The the uh, you know the only other alternative solution in this case is for aliens to come and fuck us well, all. Well. You shouldn't open that fucking box because, ladies and gentlemen, this week oh the aliens have landed. If you haven't seen the fucking news, uh, past Israeli space defense uh, general has come out and basically said aliens exist. There's a galactic federation. Trump knew about it the entire time. Almost fucking gave the well, gave the game up. And they are all living on a base underground Mars with uh, at, with uh, American astronauts and representatives of the Alien Galactic Federation, and they are coming to a deal. They want to let us know that they are here, but they don't <laughs> want to rush it. They want to make sure that we as humans are ready for it to happen, and yeah, not ready as yeah. in uh, to be able to comprehend it, but ready as in uh, we are a peaceful being that isn't just like, just wanting to blow the fucking lid yeah. off of everything. Um, and so we need to be better people so that we can join the Galactic Federation. Anyway, let's It's been a while since on. we covered... It's been a while since we covered Alzheimer's. And I know that that guy is probably experiencing a lot of trauma right now. Hey, they, man, he's a fucking... So, hey, you don't know that. So, he's, a, he's a professor. He, I, honestly, though, Brian, I actually so, take, I take so, issue with that. Because so, you don't I'm know what the fuck. You don't know. I'm, I'm you saying don't know. I, I, I didn't say he has it. I said it's been a while since we covered Alzheimer's. And I'm just saying that possibly if things Uh-oh. continue to progress, Uh-oh. 
chair looks We could potentially have oh, you know what? guess. You know what? Unless, are fighting. Unless, Stop unless fighting. this deal gets made, unless this deal gets made before January 20th, I mean, the heir to the deal is going to walk out of that White House and <laughs> the nothing's going to nothing's going to happen. Love each other. Remember the magic, daddies. <laughs> See, it doesn't matter, but this is the thing is that the presidents don't have the pres the presidents aren't the ones who are given the information about aliens. If they get that information, it's because they got fucking lucky. There deep are state. there are other there are deep other state. deep state there are other people with other um other clearances career, career. They've that they've, that they've they've know about what's happening for decades and decades. You're all you're they all rely on, they I rely can hear on you all laughing votes. at me. I can hear you all laughing, but they when do the day, not rely on the support of the people. When the day comes, when the day comes, we will see. And I shouldn't say Alzheimer's. It could be psychosis. It could be um, schizophrenia. There's you many. You don't other know this man. <laughs> And I don't. I don't. I'm not saying that he has okay. it for sure. Okay. I'm just speculating, just well, like you are. This will all I'm unfold. speculating that it's mental illness. You're speculating that there's an underground moon Mars base no, with, where the Galactic no, Federation no. is. Wow. No. Wow. Again, okay. again, okay. the hate mail address is Taylor at sickboypodcast.com. Oh my god. Okay. Well, before this, before before this, before this, like disintegrates into a into a like a, a marriage spat that we that takes weeks for us to get out of. Um, before we throw to our episode uh, with. Dr. Gorfinkel, the last thing that um, we are going to talk about uh, before we get to that is there was a really interesting article um, uh, op-ed that was published. I'm going to get this guy's name right. Was it my op-ed um, from Jeremy Saunders? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was by, Jer- by Jeremy. It's spelled I-E. Interesting. Um, Sounders. Uh, an op-ed by um, by a guy named uh, Marty McCary. Um, I think that's how you, you spell his that's name. He's a, oh, the guy he's from a, Back to the pro- Future. He's a professor. Yeah, Marty. Marty Mar- what was his name? Marty, Marty McFly. Uh, Marty McFly. Um, that's pretty he's close, a, you guys. So this was actually this was actually pretty nuts. He's a he's a professor at um, at Johns Hopkins, and uh, if you've been paying attention to COVID at all, then you know that Johns Hopkins <laughs> is like the center for like. The disease control. They are not the center for disease control, but they are getting. They are sort of the main. They are one of the main sources of information in terms of like tracking COVID and um, um, like a lot of studies and um, and things that have gone on over the past year. Um, trying to figure out what the fuck we're dealing with, and um, and he basically came out and said that the the Pfizer vaccine. And all the data that came with it. So we were ta- we've been talking about vaccines. We're going to talk about vaccines later um, with Dr. Gorfinkel. That this vaccine that is starting to roll out now in the UK, and we're going to be getting it here in Canada soon. It it was ready. The data that detailed the safety and the effectiveness of it was available on November twenty second, and the meeting to to approve it and to process that information was actually. Today and and uh, on December 10th as we're recording this and he basically goes as somebody who has participated in like hundreds and hundreds of these things the FDA could have convened experts the same day that it was submitted and it should have taken 24 to 48 hours to go through the data because he says in the in this op-ed that basically when when a company like Pfizer submits that, the FDA doesn't do their own like dig into the vaccine. They just review the data that they're provided. 
And then they go through the data and he was like to convene the experts needed. And especially obviously with the climate of like what we're dealing with, it would be so easy to get those people together and like have that pounded out within the net within two days. You said he was involved in hundreds, hundreds of those or like around a hundred situations like that before. With like trials uh, and being right. like a part of trials and like gathering data. And everything. I wonder at John, though, at Johns I wonder, Hopkins University. I wonder though, like how many times he's been involved with those in like December because I mean, Christmas time is right. fucking banana. Like that think about all the holiday true. parties and yeah. things like, like uh Christmas shopping. Shopping is nuts right now. And so I could and see why it would take, I mean, for me, like it's, my schedule is booked for like the next two weeks yeah. straight. So like, it would be really hard for me to convene right now and review is this, you know, sorry, a vaccine Jay, that's going to go out. Is this, is this specific the to the States? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. to the it's to the U.S. It's to the U.S. Yeah. Um, uh, um, but approving it for emergency use is it? Because right. so I listened to an uh, an episode. And that of there's the been Daily. no there's been no other like there's been nothing since then that was added or subtracted from right. the information so that my, they had. My question is is because I listened to an episode of of the Daily Today and it, it was talking about a similar um, situation where the United States had the opportunity to buy or secure mm-hmm. another hundred million doses mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the Pfizer vaccine. And they sort of like drug their heels on it. And now yeah. those doses have gone to Europe. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering because Pfizer didn't accept the operation warp speed money. Do you think that the reason why some of this stuff has taken so long to go through? And I know that maybe, maybe the FDA isn't affected by this, but like, you know, there's politics involved with this, obviously. Um, do you think that any of this is because of like the fact that they were like, hey, we're going to do this on our own. We don't want to be influenced by politics and money. We're not going to take the Operation Warp Speed money. Fuck Donald Trump in a way. And But it wasn't and, Pfizer. It's the FDA. Pfizer's, no, been, you know what I mean? No, no, that's what I'm saying. But do you think the F like is, and I don't know if like, again, I'm saying I'm not sure if this is related at all but like why so my question is why did it take so long right and so is the fda influenced in any way by the american government and you know it is the reason so like put it this way if moderna is a part of the government but if like if moderna if moderna you know would have been able to well, do you want me to get give you a little conspiracy center. theory? Yeah, well, this is oh, what I'm Jesus. doing right now, man. A I'm, conspiracy I'm, I'm, theory? This that's is, not I'm speculating. Like <laughs> because there is, there is a bit of like, I was reading this article and I went, ooh, wow, this could like, you know, in the, in the hands of the wrong person, this could be, you know, this could, this could spell conspiracy theory. So um, let me see where, let me just find the part where he talks about that. He says, is there a Q drop? Did you hear this on a Q drop or dude? Yeah, I could possibly <laughs> please. Um, <laughs> um, where was this? That's objectively see. funny. You guys. Um, so the FDA career staff, um, also delayed. So people have asked me, da, 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 da. um, the FDA career staff also delayed the vaccine by adding an unprecedented, unprecedented requirement to slow down phase three trials. Four weeks before the November 3rd presidential election, the FDA increased the median follow-up period requirement for vaccine patients, ensuring that it would be impossible for the vaccine to be approved before the election. The move was a departure from a decades-old standard operating decades-old operating um, procedure at the agency, at the FDA, and the process used to authorize convalescent 
convalescent plasma just months ago. Even with the new requirement, the FDA would would have had follow-up data from tens of thousands of volunteers who had been followed from followed for months. If the FDA would have accepted safety data from the early group of summer vaccine recipients, we might have a vaccine in the public domain by now. Um, so he, so there's, there's like this little piece in here where they're basically going, Hey, you know what? There was this weird thing that happened. And again, I'm not conspiracy theorist by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, you know, well-respected, uh, professor at Johns Hopkins is basically saying, you know what? The FDA, FDA did this weird thing where they added this, you know, and, and you could very, I think you could very well make the argument that they're going, Hey, they added this, like they added this little bit of time because this was already moving at such a fast pace Mm that they might wanted to like slow it down just a little bit so they could like take this thing that's moving rapidly and just put a little bit more quality control on it. Yep. Than, mm-hmm. So like, you could very easily I, make that argument. I am also not one for, I, I mean, I find conspiracy theories to be very exciting, but I'm not one to give into or believe them. But, and you know, a, a well-respected professor from Israel stood up and said that aliens <laughs> exist in sure a, in a, a galactic federation <laughs> and they, they you know they, they they are they are with other US <clears throat> astronauts in a base underground on Mars and we're you know they're trying to get us into this federation and I just want to be a fucking part of it you know I want I to do, believe I, so I, I want actually to, it's I, hard to I, say I, it's hard to say what's real and what's not um I I do just want to make a quick point about the the like cuz I kind of like spouted a bit of a conspiracy theory there but but you know, at the end of the day, I was listening to uh, our boy Tony Fauci talking about the. Uh, Are we calling him Tony now? <laughs> Tony, <Yeah>. Tony, <laughs> Tony, Daddy, Daddy Fauci, Daddy Fauci. <laughs> uh, he was he was talking about the UK's approval of the vaccine um, being used there, and he was saying he was saying, you know, look, it's going to take a little bit more time here in the United States, but we just want to make sure that this is a hundred percent or as, you know, as safe as we possibly can ensure. And so, you know, hearing him talk, I, I, I just, I put a lot of trust in, in him. And, uh, I think that he's doing a, a great job south of the border here. So, um, you know, when he said it was going to take another couple of weeks to do the proper due diligence, I think that like, you know, the reason why they didn't do it on, November 22nd mm. right away is probably because there was some level of due diligence yeah. that had to be done. And I would say that likely would, yeah. that's what happened yeah. rather than, I would than, probably agree with that, you know, rather than they were just fucking dragging their heels for yeah. the last two yeah. weeks. And if I could say that it's just, it's interesting. And this ties into the recording um, that we're going to throw to with Iris. It's really interesting to me to see like a new type of vaccine hesitancy that's tied into mistrust of the government. I think that that's a new thing that we're seeing. Like that's something that I heard in the interviews with people in the UK that they like, you know, they believe in science. They take their vaccines usually, but they don't trust Boris Johnson, the PM there. And like the same thing with Donald Trump and Operation Warp Speed. I think that's a really interesting mix of uh, distrust in our institutions with uh, vaccine hesitancy. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like um, one of the public health (laughs) officials said to us, recently that like the most important thing about public health is trust. If you don't have yeah. trust, then, then, then you're, yeah. you're, you're, you can't be effective yeah. at your yeah. job. But, um, Oh fuck. I had one last thing I was going to well, say. I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I know that I know, especially people who have been affected by this and you know, those of which there are millions, um, uh, all over the world. And, and obviously, you know, like locally to us in Canada and like south mm-hmm. of the border, like it's just out of control. So I know that the vaccine 
especially for those people who have been like really directly affected, couldn't cannot come soon enough. Mm. But keeping in mind that this vaccine is like it's something like ten times it's like ten like eight or ten times faster than any vaccine has ever been. Yeah, it's been warp, so it's been warp speed. Yeah. I mean, so you know, at the end of the day, setting that sort of benchmark for being able to respond and to this and find mm. that find that um so find the solution to the yeah. to this global problem is pretty fucking mm. crazy yeah mm-hmm. mm. um guys and, and you know what? High... who knows who knows a, like 10 times faster than any other vaccine like that is that is that is wild to think about and also like uh in april or or you know march april may like if we had talked to vaccine specialists, if we had talked to Iris, you know, she, she might have been like, not po- like, absolutely not possible. She calls this a miracle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and where do miracles come from? When a mommy and a daddy. <laughs> aliens. Well, either mommy or daddy or, yeah, that's right, Brian, aliens. Like this could be from them. Right. So what I'm trying yeah. to say is like the, the, you know, <laughs> this the, was, this was the moment to reach out. They could have brought this down to us, you know, just like they brought us the pyramids. COVID or the vaccine? <clears throat> uh, the, the vaccine. Yeah. yeah. I, the COVID came, COVID came from um, a pangolin. Uh, so this is, uh, <laughs> folks, we are so excited to throw to this conversation with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. I want to say, I want to say this. What an interesting woman. Mm-hmm. I am. It's, it's one of those people where when we talk to them, immediately as soon as the conversation's over we have like a little a little huddle together and go can we get this person back on the show like yeah uh, and then i got slack messages like this person is great yeah. in the middle of the recording she really is fantastic we really hope we get to have her back on the show in the future and i'm sure we will yeah. um, mm-hmm. i hope you enjoy this as much as we do because we had a wonderful time and again a pretty important conversation so uh, listen with your ears and your heart and your eyes and your holes wide open so here we go our conversation with dr corfinkel all right as recording this, it, I, I I feel like I got to put this up here because like t- news news is quick, news is fast, <laughs> and the news is constantly changing. And there's always something happening in the world of COVID and the the news world of COVID. But it is December eighth, Tuesday, December eighth, right now. As we are sitting here with our new friend, Doctor Iris Gorfinkel. B- before I get into what I was about to say, I'm going to start by asking you, Doctor Gorfinkel, uh, the question that we ask most doctors who we have on the show. Um, are you a smart person doctor or are you a uh, a medical doctor? I am a medical doctor, and I didn't realize the two are actually separate questions. I hope I'm both, but I can't promise, but I will do my best. Amazing, amazing. So, so I was going to say, I think that, that medical doctors are smart person doctors too, but... Not hey, not to be a disservice to uh, yeah no to the they, they, smart person doctors. Hey, but we've established <laughs> <there's> <laughs> cat- we've established two categories on this show. That's and right. There's yeah. only we got to stick with it. <laughs> so that is such a loaded gun. I don't even want to go there. The only people who are actually allowed to tread in that water are my kids, and boy, do they take full advantage of that. So I'm not sure I want to expose myself. But uh, all right. So so Tuesday, December eighth, uh, uh, and 
And just yesterday, just yesterday, uh, I was watching uh, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, um, express to the country that vaccines are going to be on the way before, uh, before they're going to be shipped out before uh, the end of 2020. God damn, it's been such a shit year, and what a what a nice way to cap it off. Um, but uh, uh, I mean, huge news, and and I know that there's a there's a small number that's being shipped here to Nova Scotia where we are. Um, and who knows what this will look like in, in a week from now when, when this episode is out. But uh, Dr. Gorfinkel, the, the first thing that I want to I want to kind of dive into with you and, and get your thoughts on, which is which is something that I have a really hard time wrapping my head around, is the idea or the notion of vaccine hesitancy or, you know, the, the, the also known as like anti-vaxxers. What the fuck is that? And how on earth is this? How is this a thing? How how is how is how is there hesitancy to to something that could potentially um, bring our world back to some semblance of normalcy? All right, Jeremy, I'm going to push back on your conflation of anti-vaxxer. Please do with vaccine hesitancy. Okay, I completely do not agree that they are one and the same. Okay, anti-vaxxer to me. And I think to the general public means anti-science. Basically, they're Mm anti-science. So that represents a very small segment of Canada's population. We're talking maybe 2%. Most of us, and I include myself, and I include Health Canada, and I include every single health health official, can reasonably say we're vaccine hesitant. Ah, We want the data. We want to understand. We believe in the scientific method, and we want to make sure that we have the best information we can. Mm. To me, that's the definition of vaccine hesitancy. It's saying fill in the gaps with what I still need to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would. It, I would. I would agree with that in saying in saying that it's and and especially like thought. Yeah, the, the the idea of being thoughtful, especially in especially in this environment where we are where we are about to embark as a as a global society in in partaking in a vaccine that is has been produced something like i think four times faster 400% faster than any vaccine has ever been produced and like rightfully mm. so we should we should think hey what are what are some of the things that what, what what does it mean to produce a vaccine that fast and like what and and how am i and and like what sort of things um what sort of things do we sacrifice in the process of creating a vaccine that quickly that we need to know about or um you know wh- and what are the processes here is there, is everything being followed you know to the the way that it needs to be rather than rather than the disbelief that a vaccine can work <clears throat> Absolutely. I love the song you're singing, Taylor. And I think to, to answer those questions, those are, those are just a microcosm of the questions that reasonably arise for the vaccine hesitant. Who does not want to understand what impact money and politics has had in the vaccine? Mm. You know, so to just focus on does it make scientific sense is only one aspect of it. We want to understand it for what it is and also for what it is not. In other words, 
as a vaccine hesitant person, explain to me what I need to understand. And, and if it's not understood, say as much, tell me as much. And that's the definition of true vaccine hesitancy. In fact, it is the foundation of what is truly an informed consent in medicine. Can we talk about informed consent without having answered those questions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what, what, is, what are some of the things that are being done right now to like, what are some of the questions that are being asked? Because it's like, okay, you know, the, the vaccine that's being shipped out right now coming from Pfizer. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. Is just one of several vaccines that have been produced by big time pharma companies. Um, Obviously, you know, living in a in a world where uh, 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 you know money is a very important thing, and and these these companies have uh, they have intentions of making money, and so there is there is this like race to get the vaccine out. Um, So you know what kinds of what kinds of questions are being asked of companies like Pfizer about the 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 vaccines that they are providing? Like, what kinds of what kinds of um, steps are being taken to to provide reassurance to those in the in the scientific community who are who are vaccine hesitant? Well, let's consider Pfizer for a second, simply because it it may well become and looks like it will become the first vaccine that Health Canada grants emergency authorization use. So first, what what even is emergency authorization use? Hmm. That is a very specific term that says, hey, we don't have all the research in yet, but we're going to approve it anyway, because the pandemic, that's what I like to call it, not the pandemic, has caused so much damage that it's probably worth our consideration to take this vaccine as is, even though the information is limited. Mm. And why would we do that? Because we're now at over 400,000 Canadians infected with the disease, and many, many thousands have died from the disease. And if we wait the typical three to four years that it takes for all the research to be in, what are we going to have? Millions of people infected. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to have. And we're going to have our hospital systems completely overwhelmed. And I say that because, you know, we're not even that far from it right now. So what has Pfizer done? You know, what's the research that's been done so far? And it, it actually is. And I hate to use the term miracle because it's it's such a non-scientific word, but it does require a little bit of marveling at the science that's been done. It's the miracle of a, of a lot of things having come together. So on the positive side, and there are negative sides which we can definitely talk about, but on the positive side, look what Pfizer did. In four and a half months, they cobbled together, get this, over 43,000 volunteers. Can we take this for granted? And at, a, over, at 150 clinical sites in some six to seven different countries, 
You know, this is in this, this is in that kind of a space. Half of them were given the experimental vaccine. Half of them were given a dummy vaccine or a placebo, right? And, they, and so what do they find? That when they look at the COVID cases, of which, by the way, there were only around 170, that's not a lot of cases, hmm. but still it was enough cases that their statisticians said that this is what meets statistical significance. What do they find? Almost all the people who got the disease were in the placebo group. In other hmm. words, the vaccine was not just a little effective, it was massively effective as in over 90% effective. Mm -hmm. You know, so you look at those numbers and it's easy to take what we have for granted and say, well, you know, that was predictable. Actually, it was not. There's tons of theories in science that never play out and it blew everybody's expectation away. We're mm -hmm. talking about infectious disease specialists, epidemiologists, you know, this was a modern miracle of science. And how did they come to it? It was not by accident. First of all, that messenger RNA vaccine, that has zero virus in it. It is a genetic packet, which is artificially produced to instruct the body to make the spike protein. So it's only making a protein on the coat of the virus. That's what's happening. One of, and, one of only 20, one of 29 proteins too, right? So it's just one piece of 29 possible pieces and the, and the most important one of that. We, we believe it is the most important one because it's kind of like the lock to the key. It's that spike protein, which is actually the key that gets it into the cells, that allows it to, to, the virus to enter into those cells. So you're absolutely right. It is, it's only one, but we believe it is the, probably the most important of the proteins. There are others, but this is where most of the research is being done. Most of the key research is coming down that pipeline. It's you know, so what did they find? Oh, sorry? No, sorry. I th sorry, I thought you were wrapping up. Continue, go on. Yeah, so, you know, in the research, when they look at it and they see these this 170 group, so a good question would be, hmm, so how did they how did they select these? Because they, they clearly did not do repeated nasopharyngeal swabs on all 44,000 participants. Right. That's not what they did. What they did is they found out, okay, if you have a symptom, then we're going to test you. So look at that. That's a bias in the study. It's not testing absolutely everybody, right? So now you can you can already start nitpicking, saying, okay, this is this is what. And by the way, the Moderna vaccine, they they were relying on two symptoms to test. This vaccine was a little more generous. So it relied on one symptom. It got to the 170 patients very rapidly. But the problem is, is this. Now th this is the fine print of the vaccine, and I. You know, I laud the vaccine hesitant for saying, hey, do we know everything? And this is the fine print. This is what we do not know, which we must own and put it right out front. We do not know exactly how effective it will prove to be in those over 65. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the numbers in that 170 group who were infected in the Pfizer trial, who had natural infection, you know, who eventually we could see it was, it was the placebo group who was more infected, way more infected. But most of them were not that age. So you're talking about a relatively small number. But is that many, also, <clears throat> were is there that many people in there that had that had like pre-existing conditions? Do you know? Yeah, a number had some. Uh, I think it was. I can't remember. I have to check that. But mm. I think it was around thirty percent. But I, mm. I don't quote me on that because okay, I want to be right. accurate about that. Sure, mm. sure, sure, sure. You know, but it was a, a fairly broad representation of different populations. They certainly had a number of individuals over sixty-five. They did not put a, a top number on the age. So they did have a number of people who were in the high risk group within that 44,000. But the problem is, 
how many of the 170? You know, so what we're missing is I, the ideal trial, you would have 44,000 people and you would be testing them all the time, mm. right? That's not what this trial did. This trial tested those who had symptoms. And we know that in COVID-19, 45% have no symptoms. Now, when we don't know, when we don't know what the efficacy is of people over 65, is that where, um, now, and I've seen that, I've seen that maybe this, this treatment or this vaccine might not make it to North America. I think what I was reading was specifically the United States or that it was less likely. I don't know about Canada. Um, is that, is that where the, uh, Oxford university, uh, AstraZeneca, vaccine comes in, which is showing that it's going to be, which, which has showed particular promise in older, in older people. Well, the issue around the United States is very different than what's happening in Canada. So if you want to stay more Canadian focused, like I'm just saying, um, in the Canadian context, what we have done, our federal government has chosen to do and very reasonably was basically spread the risk over different types of vaccines. And I'll, sh- I'll share something with you. They basically said, where's the money? In other words, who can afford and make sure that they can, that these are the groups that can actually put out the vaccine at warp speed? Because it's, it's hugely complicated to get that vaccine out. Yeah. The, the sexy thing about the AstraZeneca vaccine, let's, let's hold it in our hands, is the fact that it can be stored at mm. two to eight degrees Celsius, which is the fridge that every single family doctor has. Mm-hmm. You know, so we all have it, we can all give it. That's not a small thing because mm-hmm. how many of us have freezers of minus 70? Mm-hmm. Actually, you can count the number of uh, places in Ontario that have it on practically two hands. I mean, you, you don't need a lot of hands to count how many freezers there are like this. This is a $15,000 unit to store that mRNA vaccine from <laughs> Pfizer. The Mm. Moderna one, well, that can stay at regular freezer temperatures for up to six months. That's already a lot easier to contend with. Isn't isn't the good thing about the Pfizer vaccine, though, and the way that they're shipping it in um, with consideration of the freezers is that these shipping boxes that obviously aren't without fault, but the boxes that they're actually shipping in them right now um, can they can store them in those boxes for. I, I, I don't know the days exactly, but I think it's five to 15 days. Um, isn't that a benefit in terms of like resolving this pandemic? I understand that like if you wanted, if if the vaccine has to be given, you know, every year for the rest of our lives or, or until we sort of ad- adapt to this strain of the uh, COVID-19, um, isn't that okay right now? The the freezer is is the freezer thing really a problem? I guess is the question that I'm getting at. Ask none of it. They'll tell you. Darn right, it's a problem. Ask the Northwest <laughs> Territories. What right. do they say? They're saying, "Oh my God, I can't even deal with this until we have vaccines that we have the storage facilities for." Right. Okay. Because if you look at the NACI guidelines, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. So this is the federal body that tells the provinces and territories what they should be doing. Yeah, it's not that the provinces and territories necessarily have to do that, but, you know, they're, they're giving instructions, right? And, and what do they say? Two main high-risk groups. And it's, it actually agrees with the World Health Organization on this. Well, who's dying? 80% plus long-term care. That's where the vaccine needs to be. 
So here's the question that I have for you. If you have so many boxes, how are you going to get them to the long-term care facilities? And how are you going to get them to those people on time? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these people, they can't get to your box. You're going to put your box where? In some kind of, you know, in some central place in the in the Nunavut? Like, I want you to try to imagine, you know, the kind of things. That's why the military was called in. The military mm. was called in because they're used to thinking of things in terms of large geographical areas, mm. not like us simple-minded doctors. Oh, I'm yeah. coming back to that question now, and I'm <laughs> going to give you a major exposure. Like, what, what the deal? I mean, is it really? Do we as doctors have any kind of experience in that? But you ask a military person, and that military person can own that space. And that's exactly what we're seeing now, you know, and they're asking themselves, gosh, how am I going to get to the long-term care places? And none of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's the greatest yeah. logistical puzzle to solve. Yeah. It's, it's, it's massive. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what is the, what is the, what is the, um, how, how much do you know, or do you think that these companies are, are sharing information in the way, cause I know that they're all they're all competing private companies um, that are very, 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 very large publicly, publicly traded companies. And, but they all, all of a sudden it's like within this very short period of time, it was, you know, it was all, it was fairly just like purely question marks since the beginning of COVID on the vaccine. And will, you know, when will we get it? Will we get it? Will there ever be a vaccine? If we do, what will it look like? What's going to be, how's it going to get rolled out? The logistics and everything. And then all of a sudden within the span of a few weeks, we've got, Two vaccine, two 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 vaccines that are shown to be highly effective. The other one that's shown to be highly effective, specifically in older people, the one out of Oxford, and it all happens all around the same time. I feel like I'm almost like posing like a conspiracy theory question here, but I'm I, I promise I'm not. <laughs> well, uh, like what what it, I mean, what is going on there where everything sort of just clicked and all yeah. of a sudden we've got we've got multiple vaccines uh, from different companies that are and and one specifically that treats older, older people, which is like the most essential part of the population that we need to vaccinate against. What you're looking at are companies that began its research projects much earlier, right? So right from the get-go, there were countries, companies that got in early and there were companies that got in relatively late. And if you take a look at what's coming down that pipeline, there are many, there are a lot still in phase one clinical trials, the earliest clinical trials to check basic safety. These are usually done on very few patients. You have a number number in phase two, but as you get to later phase trials, these are the ones who had the biggest head start right from the beginning. And what do you know? They're also people generally who have been in the vaccine space a lot. You know, they have a long-standing history of not only supplying vaccines, but being a world supplier of vaccines. We cannot say that about everybody, but we can say that about the majority. And so when, like, who are, who's the big money takers? They're also the big money takers. But historically, vaccines have never been a big money earner for pharma companies. Historically, they are not. And in fact, if you consider the prices of the various vaccines, they, they vary quite tremendously. Moderna, by the way, is a very expensive product. Not that it matters so much at this point, because Canadian, Canada, Health Canada has already made the purchases. But AstraZeneca has said it's not going to make money on this. 
I think AstraZeneca's was something like $50 or they were pricing it at $50 or something. I don't think that's correct. I got to pull out the numbers because I do have it written down. I remember one of them was, one of them was, one of them was relatively inexpensive. I'll grab my notes and then I'll come right back. Yeah, yeah, grab your notes. Yeah, yeah. Because I want accuracy. That matters. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. God, that chair is amazing. Look at that thing. I'm pretty sure it was like 50 bucks. I like it. What have I got? Okay, I got the price list. Sweet. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh shoot! Hang on, I'm missing. I'm missing a face. Let me turn this off. Okay, there we go. The price list. Here we go. This is this is so cool. We can go shopping. Not that we really can go shopping, but we can look at it. The government already. The government already did it for us, technically. I guess. Right? right. They've already bought it. Actually, they bought it not even knowing it would work. Yeah. When's the last time you bought it a, a, a mixer on Amazon or something, not knowing if it's going to work or something? Dog from, water bottles know. or something like that. I bought my house before it was built. <laughs> yeah, you did. Technically, it worked out okay. It worked out okay in, in at your end. own risk, as many yeah. people will yeah. say, but. The AstraZeneca is actually the cheapest product at brrr, four bucks a dose. And then oh, we wow. see here, I know it's four dollars a dose. That's unbelievably less expensive. Uh, the government paid, and this is US dollars, by the way, uh, Moderna, $35 a dose. Um. So I'm giving you the high and the low here. So and it, I, I mean, is that is that high? Like, how does that compare to like a like a typical flu shot? cost you know like 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 the flu shot i got this year like do you you know we don't have to be specific but like roughly what is that costing like it is when you say 35 is that like whoa that's really high or or is you know like where where does that compare in on the entire scale okay to flu shots understand that flu shots are a separate category. They're totally. relatively inexpensive. Sure. Mm. And the reason is, is because the systems to build them, to, to establish, you know, to distribute them, they are so much in place. Mm-hmm. That right. is a well-oiled machine you're comparing right. it to, which is kind of an apple and orange. You know, can you really make that comparison? But yeah. actually, it, it is on that level. The cost of flu shots versus the cost of these are not all that different. Right. Flu shots also vary depending on how which product you're talking about. So if you're talking about the high dose, you're talking about the Moderna price, you're mm-hmm. talking about the regular dose, well, then you're talking more about the AstraZeneca price. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of like what it is. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you look at it compared to, say, other new vaccines, consider, for example, shingles, the new, you know, the new Shingrix vaccine. Mm-hmm. So Shingrix is 97% effective in reducing what's a super common disease right now. It basically is taking a common disease and turning it into a rare disease. So how much does that cost a person who's older? A couple hundred bucks, two, $300, depending on where and what. So you get an idea of how much mm. new vaccines cost without warp speed dollars. Right. Here's an interesting question. How much, what... How much money is warp speed dollars? What does that mean? <laughs> and the answer is about one and a half billion dollars. <laughs> That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, no I mean, it's like it's like the it's like Carl Sagan, billions and billions of stars. I mean, most mm. of those peons can't even begin to imagine that kind of money. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just so beyond the beyond. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, when you're talking about creating a vaccine to on a mass scale, you know, the acceleration was not just the research. Like people are so worried. Is it the research? It it took place on 
every part of it. So making sure the vaccine companies, which by the way, this is a very risky, it's a very risky proposition for a pharmaceutical company to invest in a vaccine. Because many of them you can study and they will never turn out to be a profit maker. Mm-hmm. Unless you're or investing even- in Maurice Hilleman. That guy, that guy was like the vaccine <laughs> god, wasn't he? He produced like 20 something vaccines in the course of his life. Well, but- I just I just say, I mean that's not representative <laughs> though. But no, like what's no, representative no. out there is that it makes a small percentage of what most pharmaceuticals make and it's not a huge money maker. I, so what the government said is, let's let me pile this cash into you. I will give you this money so that you can then do the research and also also produce the vaccines in advance of knowing if they will work. Mm-hmm. But but in the, in, in, with the doses, um, with that price, is is that considering is that price like the thirty five dollars for for the Moderna vaccine? Is that um, per dose because you need you need two doses right within two weeks for the vaccine to be effective? So really, we're not talking thirty five dollars per person. We're talking seventy dollars per person initially, right? Correctamundo, exactly. So what what that. But what that Moderna price turns into is if it's $35 a dose, it's $70 to vaccinate someone in full, assuming they will not need a later booster shot, which we don't even know for sure yet. Right. But that's that's exactly right. You have to double those. That's a per unit price. To uh, to just to to just uh, on the money on the money part, and it, although it is a ton of money, obviously, um, I mean, imagine imagine how the government. And this is a, maybe a, 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 a getting a little off topic of the vaccine, but but moving into kind of like the political nature of what this what this pandemic has done to countries all over the world is, you know, you've got a billion and a half dollars versus the cost of the programs that Canada has introduced, the cost of the programs that the U.S. has introduced in countries all over the world, and what that costs to carry on the world in which we live in now where this pandemic is, uh, is, uh, is present. I mean like billions and billions and billions upon billions upon billions, like into trillions of dollars spending by the government to subsidize the world that we live in right now. And, you know, yeah, would you half, rather another like month pennies. of, would you rather another month of CERB, the government paying, no, paying I'm saying it's CERB, small, or would you I'm rather them pennies. pay for the, I know I, oh, yeah, the, the cost as a, as a whole, but to, to the, to, to, for the to, vaccine. to, to put into research and getting a successful vaccine versus the, the, that's, the cost yeah. that it takes to subsidize people. That's what I'm saying. Like, would like it's it's more cost effective to to get everybody vaccinated, <laughs> like than to literally to thousands give, times um, more cost public effective. stimulus stimulus packages. You, you know what's interesting about this conversation is it turns to all the money cost. You know, at my core, yes, I'm a vaccine researcher, but I'm first and last a family doctor, mm. and you know you cannot ignore what this has meant. To people who are over 60 and those with chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I use the word social isolation, real fear of going out, like, you know, what it has meant to these people, their lives, it has changed completely and radically. Mm. And, you know, it's it's easy, I think, you know, when you're 20-something or 30-something to just forget what it must feel like for somebody who's older and that person, you know, turns to me in their virtual visit, which is on the phone for the most part now. And they ask me and they are angry and they are scared. And they say, what right 
does that Yahoo, <laughs> not my language, sorry, have to, you know, have an, at, at the Metro when they're sitting there wearing their mask hanging down from their ear? You know, they're, they're angry because to them, that's, that's like a personal threat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that aspect of it. And then on the other hand, you've got the long hauler aspect of it. And I think that's vastly underestimated by people. Because, mm. you know, you, I see people in their 20s and 30s who are basically well, who get COVID. And then what happens? They get this weird thing going. They're exhausted all the time and they can't sleep. And when they try to exercise, they get even more tired. It exacerbates mm-hmm. their symptoms. Mm-hmm. So you've got this whole thing with long haulers. And once you're once you're adding up costs, hey, you gotta you gotta include these people. Because you know what? If I'm if I'm their family doctor, you know what I'm gonna do? They're short of breath. I don't know why. Is it because of a hematologic problem? Hematology. Is it because of a respiratory problem? Respiratory. Look at all these specialists racking up. We know it can infect the heart. So they, they're probably going to need a cardiologist. And what happens? The cardiologist, the respirologist, the hematologist, they all say, well, you know what? We're not so sure. It's a new disease. We don't know. You better come back in a few months. Mm. And that's if they can do the testing because the testing is a whole other thing. you got to blow out hard on the testing. Either you're going to be on that treadmill with a cardiologist or you're going to try to you know, do the breath test, the pulmonary function testing, which also requires hard breathing and mm. produces, what do you know, aerosols and droplets, both of which are known to spread the disease. Mm-hmm. So they're sitting there trying to weigh out the things. So I want you to consider the costs on all of these different levels. You mm. have the human, humane level. You have the medical level. You have what's happening. At, at the level of the testing, which cannot be ignored. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people look at the scoreboards and they think, oh, you know, I see so many hospitalizations, ICU, intubation, whatever. And I'll share something with you. And what comes down is this. In the family doctor's office, it's going to be tougher to get an appointment. And we're already seeing that in the hotspots. What used to be same-day appointments in my office is now next week. Mm. You know, and that's if you can get in next week. A lot of the time it's two weeks. And never mind, you want an appointment for that chest x-ray, you want an appointment for that mammogram, good luck if you're even going to get it because they may have closed those services down mm. altogether. So it does come down to primary care services. You cannot have a tripling of cases without having it greatly impact primary care. Mm. I, I'm really interested in staying on the <laughs> humane cost for a second, but talking about the vaccine trials um, themselves like the vaccine trials I find so fascinating because you have to take 50% of people and give them these vaccines and then take 50% of people and put them into placebo groups. And you're knowingly giving somebody a placebo where you know that they're not getting the potential to get the vaccine. And and when you see, you know, these results like the, you know, the Pfizer group, 170 people get sick with, with COVID-19 and the vaccine showing to be, you know, 90% effective. So you're know, you now know that these 170 people and, and, and the even smaller group within that, that, that actually died from getting COVID-19 in that group, I think it was like nine or, or 10, maybe very few, right. but like in order to be able to test, it's like, it's like, we should be grateful to the people who basically, you know, unfortunately did weren't able to get it at the time. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's hard for me to explain. I don't really think I have a question in all of this, but it's like, it, it's something that I've never thought of. I mean like, like the moral real- crossroads of, of, of like vaccine trials. 
Yeah, sort of, because like I understand that like, you know, it's it's a test. It's a tr- it's a trial. You don't really know what's going to happen going into it. I mean, the the group who's actually getting the vaccine in the trial is also taking risks because it is a trial and they don't really know 100 percent what's going to happen until the people go through it. So I'm not saying that it's like unfortunate. In this case, I guess it's unfortunate for the placebo group, but like it's it's sad. It, it, it makes me feel you know, sad thinking about those people knowing that like, oh, fuck, you know, they could have gotten, what if they had, you know, in the randomized, you know, however they determine who's going to be in the vaccine group and who's going to be in the placebo group, they got switched and they actually got the vaccine and then they got COVID-19 and they, and it worked and they lived like, it's, it's almost like, it, it it's like a sort of a noble thing, <laughs> even you, though they you know don't what happens know going in that space, Brian? You know what happens is that, it's not just those 44,000 participants. Behind that trial, it's an incredible scientific team. And then on top of it, you have what's called an ethical review board. Like, so they're constantly looking at it. And that question that you ask is, well, if we know it's that effective, why wouldn't the people who had the placebo be offered the vaccine then? Once it's been established that mm. it's effective, but that is a question that they will and probably have already asked in the trial, should those patients, now that we know it's effective and could in fact form a new standard of care, should they be offered the vaccine? The answer to that so far would probably be no, simply because what the world is doing now is looking at it from the lens of emergency authorization use. Hmm. In other words, in the high-risk individual, does it warrant approval? That does not mean that everybody gets it immediately. Health Canada and every country has to decide on its own if the data is good enough to say, yes, at this point, everybody should get it. Mm. That's why vaccine registries are so important Mm. because we are about, think about it. We have 44,000, let's just consider the Pfizer trial. We've got 44,000 patients in that trial. We've got four and a half months of data. Looks great. They're gonna study this group for another two years. Now I want you to think what's about to happen in Canada. We're on the verge of giving it to millions of people. We can expect many, many thousands of cases as opposed to less than 200, right? So Mm -hmm. what does that mean to a research brain? It means that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity so that later on we could overlay it with the data of every single test and we can see which product is the most effective. And not only that, we can see relative efficacies of different products. So you got vaccine A, you got vaccine B, you got the Pfizer, you got the Moderna, you got the AstraZeneca, and they're all flooding the market at once. How are you going to know which is best? Is it A, is it B, is it C? And all of a sudden you have millions of people and you can do what's called a cohort study. That's actually the term where you're comparing one group to another group and you superimpose all the testing on top of it. And you can start to see which is the most effective and also pick up those rare potential side effects that are, could only be picked up by, by seeing a large group and over a long period of time. Do we so, have that? Yeah. Does Canada have a, a, a vaccine registry or? Not as yet. And that's and, and, like something that we, we definitely have to have in place. And do you th- like, do you think that's coming or, or like, what's the, what, what's the temperature on that right now? What, what are we looking at? The way it works is that that is ultimately left to the provinces and territories to decide. 
You know, so every single province and territory will decide how they want to navigate that. I have great hopes that they will, in fact, have to have that. It's the military, and they are not going to do what we doctors have done with adult vaccinations for decades. And I say that falls below the standard of what we should have been doing. You look at how, how children's vaccines, pediatric vaccines are carefully monitored. There's registries in every single province for pediatric vaccines. But where do we, and I hate to use the word fail, but I'm going to use it, fail, it's in adult vaccinations. You want to know what vaccines you've had as an adult? Well, you got to go to clinic A, clinic C, clinic F, wherever you can remember. I think I went to that travel clinic years ago. Oh, it's closed. Now what am I going to do? How do I get my information? <clears throat> and the truth is, it has to be put into one place where patients themselves, 24-7, can access it. They can access it not only for their kids, that should also be part of the registry, but for, for themselves. You know, and think about this space. This would allow them to see the information when they need it and as soon as, it's, as, as, soon as we have it. So mm -hmm. right now, you know, we're lacking information on the Pfizer vaccine. We're not sure how good it is going to be, how good it'll prove in those over 65 and with chronic conditions. There's a lot of questions around how long it lasts. A vaccine registry would allow us to inform people as the information became available. Think about the power of that. If there were an unusual recall, which we have seen with other drugs, it is not impossible that there would be a recall. We would be able to act quickly on it. You'd simply get an email. You know, you'd get a contact because it's all in one place. We could follow it. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, is an absolute critical. A little foresight goes a long, long way in a pandemic. Mm. You can I steer the boat. I uh, On that last point that you just made there where you would get an email, I can, I can very much... Uh I, I had, uh, I had a, I had a situation, um, where, um, where my, my pediatrician when I was a kid was, uh, mixing vaccines. And then I found out and, and then I, and I found out about it through reading an article in the paper just by chance. I think actually somebody sent me an article that they read and they said, Hey, you were born in this year. Does this affect you? And, and, and it did. And I did have to get revaccinated because of that. So just like to your point about the email thing, like that you would you would be on a registry and you would get contacted immediately and say, Hey, this happened. Um, but to your, um, like to the idea of the vaccine registry, do you, do you, do you envision this? Like I, as you were talking about that, I was sort of imagining this as in, in a similar way that in a similar sort of vein as the, uh, the, as the federal government did this with legalizing, uh, cannabis in the way that they said, Hey, okay, this is going to be legal across the country. Now each province and territory figure out how you want to implement it, but on this date, this is this is when it's going to be happening. Is that sort of the way that you see it? Like the federal government mandating it and then leaving it to the provinces to figure out how that ends up getting? Is that like ideally what happens, or do you have any ideas around there? Ultimately, the the federal government can mandate it and say, "Let's do this." It's up to the provinces because the provinces and territories really generally own what happens in their jurisdictions when it comes to health decisions. And it's, it's kind of interesting. A pandemic could be an exception to this, but your province, your territory has every right to see your information. But the federal government actually doesn't. You know, so they can say, hey, it's a pandemic, people are dying, therefore we do have that right. They could invoke that, but they may, they may get a lot of pushback if they try to do that. Mm -hmm. So in an ideal world, what would happen is 
I'm seeing Taylor in my office. I got Taylor's health card. Boom, I scan that. I scan the barcode that's pre-existing on any vaccine, and instantly three records are popular. Mm. You know, popul- you know, it's populated. Three records are right away filled in. So your personal health records filled in. The local public health unit now knows that Dr. Gorfinkel has given Taylor a dose of the Pfizer vaccine. And then also the registry knows it. Mm-hmm. But- Two scans, three, three records. So, so I, I hear this and immediately it's something that I've never thought about. Uh, but but as soon as you say it, I go, yes, obviously, like this sounds like such a great idea. We we need to do this. And and, you know, irregardless of uh, regardless of of COVID-19, it would seem it would be beneficial to have a national vaccine rate. Uh, uh, registry anyway. It just seems like this is also probably the most opportune time to to create this, considering the fact that you know we're hoping that the majority of the population um, of Canadians get vaccinated in the next uh, year or so. So, like, is this something that is being talked about within the government? Like, is is this being talked about at the federal level? Is it being talked about at the at the provincial level? Like, where? What are the odds of 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 this actually happening or what needs to take place. You know, obviously the, as, as you highlighted the provincial, um, the provinces need to decide on, on this themselves, but like, is this, what is the likelihood of this happening? What I would say is this, all of us who are vaccine hesitant, and I do not leave myself out of that category. Everyone who's ever asked a question about a vaccine qualifies must demand that a registry be made. That's all there is to it. Mm. Because what is the government? The government is ultimately representing what the people want. And if the people say, this is what we must have, that is what will happen, period. It doesn't matter if if one government official somehow thinks it's a crappy idea. Fine, that's his problem. (laughs) But you know, when we talk about how do we address vaccine hesitancy, it's it's about transparency. It's about sharing what we know as soon as we know it in a way that does not introduce barriers. And that's a vaccine registry does just that. Do I believe in a person's individual right to say, hey, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want me being part of a national vaccine registry. I'm not sure the rationale for that. I really have trouble with that, but maybe mm-hmm. somehow somebody thinks I don't want him to know my personal address or I don't know, whatever. You already but have your social thing, insurance number. <laughs> you know, it's like, exactly. But I mean, I mean, there should be an opt out. But but it should be sure. kind of like the organ donation, right. you know, yeah. in, in yeah. other countries. We know that if people have to opt out, and there's just that little mini extra step, they don't do it. They say, okay, mm-hmm. that's that's the standard way, and mm-hmm. that's how it should be done as a standard. And if you don't want it, you got to, you got to, you know, make a little extra effort to make sure that people understand you don't want it because this is a pandemic and people are dying and people are getting infected and it is putting a tremendous burden on society. Mm. This is, uh, this has been really, really interesting to dive into with you, Dr. Irison and uh, Bri, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I just have one last question and I want to kind of come full circle to what we were talking about at the, the beginning because, um, you know, we talked about, and I almost want to like, uh, I'll self-describe myself as a, a, a hesitant person to get the vaccine, but my sort of idea has been one of like, oh, well, it's noble to like, you know, you know, volunteer, whether you think it's going to, there's, 
that whether you think that this was done um, too fast or not, I think that we all need to be doing this for the greater good of the the entire population. And I don't think that that's an intelligent way to look at this. I think what I learned from you in the beginning is that there are questions that we should be asking that you know we can ask and try to find the answers to. And as long as there's transparency and we're able to look at those answers and 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 have that sort of be able to tick those boxes ourselves when we go to get the vaccine, then I think that that is what's really important about this. But I wanted to ask you, um, Dr. Gorfinkel, if there's like, are there questions specifically that you have about the vaccines um, that are available right now that you would want the answers to before you get vaccinated? Well, as a healthcare worker, I'm a potential typhoid Mary. I, I mean, I could genuinely spread it to thousands of people, you know. So if a doctor infects even 10 people, you know, it's it's exponential the way it goes. Mm. So we have the potential to become super spreaders. So would mm. I take the vaccine with the information that's there? 100% I would. And I look forward to getting it. You know, but does that mean I don't have questions? Absolutely, it does not. I think there's so many questions left around it, and many of those questions time will, in fact, answer. The question will be, can we as a country come to those answers in the best and fastest way? And if we don't have a vaccine registry in place from the get-go, I promise you it will take much longer to come to the information that you yourself, that I want to know, you know about the vaccine. How long does it last? What is the most effective product? Are boosters needed? And don't forget, Canada is a unique population, highly diverse, you know, with many different populations, right? It's not a single thing. And you think about the kind of patients involved in the trial. They were pretty good representations, but they're certainly not Canada. Hmm. And they're not millions of people. There are many thousands of people, nor are they thousands of results. They're hundreds as in less than 200. Mm. So I just I just say, are there questions going through my mind? Many questions, you know, but given what we now know, is the vaccine a worthwhile endeavor? I'm shocked and, and greatly happy to say it's, for what we know, it's, it's unbelievable. It's mm. unbelievable how far we've come in such a short time. So I'm super excited about it. It does not replace the use of my mask. It does not replace my having to do social distancing or limit the number of people in gatherings, indoors and outdoors, et cetera. It does not replace, you know, all of the quarantines and the isolations that still have to happen. It's not a replacement for that, but it is another addition to that. It's another potential. It's another thing in the, it's another huge piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. you know, but we've got a long way to go before we, you know, have enough data and enough vaccine, never mind, to to go around for absolutely everybody. Yeah. Do you want to talk about rarity? I I mean, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. I mean, let's let's die. I I mean, I I feel like we could talk to you for hours. I'm I'm whatever (laughs) you got, Dr. Gorfinkel, take us on this ride. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Let's do it. I I want you to say that. I got to call my my 
my 15 year old over here. And I want you, you know, and, and I want you to tell her that, okay? I want you to tell her that. Deal, deal. <laughs> this is such a great space, I have to say. Um, when you say rarity, do you mean rare? Like, do you mean vaccine as like a, 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 like a, a vaccine being a rarity or? or yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. What, what so do you mean by that? I have this interest, and you you know it's. It's absolutely fascinating. So in the retail world, there's such a thing called the scarcity effect, Mm. right? So if I have something that's rare and you can't get it very much and everybody really wants it or enough people really want it, what happens is that psychologically we put a much higher value on that. And I want you to superimpose that for a second in the space that we're talking about the space of a COVID-19 vaccine. So ignore everything else. Put the science aside for just a second. It's just a thought experiment, right? Mm. Um, The world is talking about it. You have something that may actually prevent it. And now you hear that, you know, a quarter million doses is coming out and it's only going to this very, very select group. Only the select group, and and never mind, it's a small percentage of the select group who will then get the vaccine. What impact just that, never mind everything else. And what happens is that it's the scarcity effect. It all of a sudden becomes very enticing. You have this this enticing demand, this enticing combination of huge demand, potentially unlimited, you know, with limited supply, and the potential for structural problems to even get it. How mm. sexy is that? Mm. All of a sudden, never mind the science, it becomes far more desirable. And, you know, like so many things, when you start combining different thoughts, so this is actually invi- involving some cognitive psychology with what's happening in, you know, in the retail world, with mm. all of a sudden the small segment of medicine, this vaccine segment. No studies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it's it's really interesting. What I find is that when flu shots are harder to get, that seems to increase its demand. Yeah, the um, uh, Dr. Gorfinkel, the idea you were just talking about of uh, it, like it just opens up this huge can of worms for me of like how to to think about that, like both in in a positive and negative way. Because you know, like I think of oh well, I mean if. Like, what would it feel like for me, who's, you know, a, a healthy 30 year old guy who is likely not going to get the vaccine until, you know, the end of her summer or, or, or fall of 2021, what would it mean to me if I got it in the next three weeks? Like, how mm. would, how would I, would I feel differently? Would I feel like I'm all of a sudden now in this like exclusive club of people who we're able to get vaccinated really early. And, mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. if somebody extended me the invitation to be in that club, would I want, would I want to be in it? Like, hell yeah, yeah. I'd want to be in it. That would be, Dude, yeah, it's, I'd be Brian, so it's excited exact, to be in it's, it. It's this club. It's the PlayStation 5 I have a PlayStation club. 5 That's and what we're I can guarantee it. you, if, Taylor, if you went to go buy one of these right now, you wouldn't be able to because they're all sold out. And they'll be sold out beyond beyond Christmas, and it won't be till the New Year's until you can get one, Taylor. And I, I have one, 
And don't you, uh, Taylor, I know, don't you, I know where you live, dude. Do not <laughs> but, lie to me. But do it, not lie to me. You want to be in this club, but also you want like, one of these. I, I think of the pros and the cons because then I think of like, well, you know, when there's, when there's exclusivity like that or scarcity or a rarity, like how are systems manipulated so that people can get into that club when mm, maybe mm-hmm. it isn't their turn? You know, like I also think, I think of it sort of like to use the analogy of, of getting on an airplane like when you're boarding and they're boarding by, by sections and they let like the business class people on first and they like pour them like champagne and they, they, they all like the peasants. Yeah, but everybody just by. lines up anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know but exactly. But that's my effect. point. But that's it's my point. used in retail left and right. Think mm-hmm. about it. Next day shipping is almost a form of a low stock. Limited yeah. editions, mm-hmm. seasonal offers. Mm-hmm. Like we see it in the retail and it's so familiar. And you know what? Does medicine take advantage of that? And I wonder if in vaccine marketing, because ultimately public health officials do have to think about such things. How do we convince Mm. even a potential anti-vaxxer? How do we allure enough people into taking the vaccine? Yeah. You know, because there's a group who simply will not or does not even care about the science. They're just like, well, well you know, mm-hmm. you know, but there is a, a subgroup that may just respond to the scarcity effect. And mm-hmm. are we taking advantage of that in medicine? I don't think so. I think that I, I, I mm-hmm. that's what I, that's where my head was going with it. And I and and when you put it that way, I do I do think because and I think that when we liken it to the way that that concept is used in retail. I think that people who are way, uh, you know, that not hesitant, but, uh, maybe in denial on vaccines and people who are in that like anti-vaccination category, I think that that effect, I think that's a powerful human, um, a human piece of the human condition that could be leveraged in a way to, to, to make that group of people, or at least some of those, some of that group of people re start to rethink how they feel about, um, getting a vaccination, especially when the people around them start to, uh, you know, join that club and and it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope, Mm -hmm. right? Because we are scientists and we want to present the data and allow people to make an informed consent. But to, to deny that it has any impact is to be, at best, naive. Mm. It does have mm. a very profound impact on how people view the vaccine. If it's scarce, to many, it will become much more desirable. Yeah, that's really Again. fascinating. <laughs> PlayStation 5. <laughs> He's holding up I'm his just, PlayStation I'm again. Ju- I'm just one of the He's lucky so few. He's so proud of it. I'm just one of the lucky few that got it, that, you know, that just got called in uh, at just the right time. Imagine that's what you had to do to get the vaccine, line up outside the night before, like uh, days yeah, exactly. before. Yeah. Exactly. You had to order, it's, it's, be it's online, click and refresh. <laughs> it's Boxing Day availability. Yeah. Get in line. It's, yeah. so, it's, it's crazy. so desirable. It's so alluring. Dr. Gorfinkel, this has been, uh, there's been a lot of food for thought here, and this has been a really, really engaging and fun conversation. Uh, I speak for, uh, on behalf of the three of the three of us, but also all of our listeners, I'm, I'm really excited and, and stoked that uh, everyone gets a chance, everyone who listens to us gets a chance to hear from you, because this has been 
this has been really, really great, especially, mm-hmm. I, I think very timely, you know, especially right now with everything that we are currently going through, like I said earlier in the beginning, like the news is constantly changing, but I think this is going to be coming out uh, pretty soon after we record it. So I'm just glad that uh, we were able to have your voice be a part of all of this. So thank mm-hmm. you so much. Well, many thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I really mm-hmm. appreciate it. Uh, tell your daughter that we say um, that she should appreciate every time she gets to hear you talk. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I have tried to tell her that. I'll keep, I'll keep hammering that message home. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Told you so, right? We told you. That was it. it was- yeah, told you. Dr. Gorfingel, great. What a wonderful mm-hmm. guest, right? Yep. So bring in, bring in the heat, bring in the energy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if you like that, well, guess what? You're in luck. We do this twice a week. Episodes Mondays Whoa. and Fridays coming at you. Uh, you can uh, listen to them wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CBC Listen app. TikTok. Nope. Nope. Can't, can't do it on TikTok. Um, but if you've got really cool stories or if you happen to be a vegan and you just really, you know, really want to just just unleash some heat oh, my direction, you know, like <laughs> I said, I live with one and we have conversations like very, one of those. very, very, very civil conversations like this all the time. Very civil. Um, you can do that. You can send them to letters at sickpointpodcast.com. And if you want to be an awesome guest on the show, if you want to be uh, an Irish Gorfinkel, um, you know, or any of the amazing guests that we have at each and every week, sickpointpodcast.com slash contact, fill it out, apply, we'll read it. Maybe you'll be on the show. Yeah. And if I can say like, speaking of positive feedback, like we also really love the, the great iTunes uh, reviews that you guys leave us. We read uh-huh. them. We love them. And here's one recently, uh, been listening to these idiots for a few years. They're oh. seriously just fantastic, funny, heartwarming, Annoying like little brother and all open-minded and willing to learn. I just listened to the Beauty of Grief episode and holy hell, that was awesome. What an amazing guest, which was Jeremy Allen, by the way. Uh. And yes, please, to a grief summit. Love that idea. Keep making people laugh while encouraging them to share the pain. You guys make my week better. That was Ger Jer Ger Condon. Jer, did you uh. say so thank that you? Review? <laughs> Jerry, you wrote that. It was it was Jerry with like a with a G, not a J. Let's yeah, we'll, we'll no, all clarify. Like so girl, thank like you for Jerry, that. Like Jerry, hmm. yeah. yeah. So that's we like love a, all the, that's a hot review. That's, it yeah, is. So we love is. all the happy little reviews. We love all the happy emails. Send hey guys, them our uh, way. Before I throw to the uh, credits for the show, I just want to say that if you like this episode about the vaccine talk, and you're interested in more vaccine talk, and in fact any of the facts that I said about vaccines in this episode, I probably regurgitated from this very episode of Radio Lab that I'm going to recommend, go and listen to, I think it's the most recent episode called, I think it's called The Great Vaccinator about Maurice Hilleman. Sounds Man, dirty. if you guys have not listened to that Radio Lab episode, I highly recommend it. It's amazing. It's super fascinating and uh, very relevant right now. So check that out. Sweet, Brian. Thanks for, thanks for plugging that there. That's uh, I think we just made like 10 grand off, off that. So that yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you, you weren't supposed to say that. We were just, oh, we're they, not, they oh, paid us under no, the table. We'll, they just I'll, let us know we'll, cash we'll, we'll, Donna, we'll cut, cut that. Take it up, post. Cut yeah. the $10,000 yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, you can cut it. Yeah. Um, and uh, thanks to the person who does cut cut out that stuff. And 
usually oh, yeah, on uh, Feel that's Good actually, Friday episodes. That's, yeah, Jared. I was going to say. <laughs> Note to self, cut that out. <laughs> uh, do you do you listen to the whole thing or do you just sort of like speed listen so you're going to miss this because yeah, if you miss this today, part we do not want process. we don't we don't want to miss cut it like we definitely have to cut this part especially me saying this now because yeah. it's going on for too uh, long so make yeah. sure yeah, yeah it you, definitely is going on for too long Way you too thoroughly long. listen to <laughs> all of this right so you'll definitely remember to get I'm pretty this sure this episode is pushing two hours okay sweet um based sorry on my, based off my editing I'm going to apologize to our manager, Jeff Lonis, the uh, four of us who you all know and love. And uh, Jeremy, you edit this podcast and Rich O'Coin does the music. And we're just going to skip it on from here because we are pushing two hours. Ew. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Lauren. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.